0: All right, Philippians chapter two. I actually wanna read it, read it again so it's fresh in our minds and hearts. Philippians two, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We're going to, we're going to stop there for now. Have have any of you ever been to uh, Mammoth Caves? Raise your hand if you've ever been on a tour of Mammoth Caves before. Okay, this is really gonna resonate because like 15 of you um, have been there before. Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really amazing experience. I encourage you to do it if, if you've never done it before. Uh, but I... Lucas was telling me, he, he thinks it's the, it's the largest set of caverns in North America. It's this really incredible place. It's uh, about an hour north of here in, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I can remember going on a tour of Mammoth Caves with my family growing up. And at one part of the tour, after you've worked your, worked your way pretty, pretty deep into the caves, there comes this moment, and I actually don't know if they still do this, so verify before you go, and you're like, why didn't that happen? You get really deep into the caverns, and then all of a sudden, they turn off every single light, like every single light, and it goes pitch black. Now, you've experienced like darkness before, like in a room, like I'm talking pitch, pitch, pitch black, and you're not even able to see your hand in front of your face. Like when you open your eyes, close your eyes, open your eyes, close your eyes, absolutely no difference whatsoever And they do this for a few minutes. The person giving you the tour is talking and then you're on kind of the edge of your seat starting to freak out a little bit because when you're in pitch black darkness, it just starts to get freaky. And then this moment comes when when the tour guide just kind of flips on this small little flashlight. It's like this small little flashlight, They, they, they turn it on. They don't turn all the lights back on, but they start by turning on this little flashlight. And it is a wild, wild experience. Because you go from being able to see nothing, like absolutely nothing at all, not even the hand in front of your face, to being able to see everybody you're on the tour with. This little light, little light lights up everything in the room. You can see the caverns, you can see the people around you. And Paul here in Philippians chapter 2, what he's going to do is he's going to remind us of a truth that you see throughout the entirety of Scripture, You see it over and over and over again that we as God's people, we as the people of God, we as followers of Jesus are made to live as light in a dark world. Paul, in this letter, he's gonna use the metaphor of stars shining brightly in a nighttime sky. And I love this metaphor we're gonna dig into. But it's something that Jesus also says. I don't know if you remember, if you've ever heard Jesus's sermon on the mount Jesus in Matthew, he says, hey, you're the light of the world. He says it really plainly. You're you're like a town that's built on a hill. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, and here's where we're going this morning, the way, the way that you live your life will serve as a light in this dark world if you follow Jesus, if you follow his ways. Now, when you think about just the nighttime sky, when you look at like stars, and unfortunately we live in a city, so we don't really see the stars all that well, but, but imagine going out to, uh, I don't know, Deep, deep, far in like Holenwall, Tennessee. You're like in Holenwall, Tennessee in the middle of nowhere, and you look up at the nighttime sky and you look at stars. Now, the stars themselves like aren't actually that bright. Now, we know in reality they are, but from where we stand, like the star is not all that bright. What, what makes the star really shine from our perspective is the contrast of the dark night sky. You see, you're able to actually see the stars because of what what it stands in contrast to. Now, Paul, earlier in this letter, if you remember a few weeks ago, he said, hey, I wanna encourage you to live a life worthy of the gospel you have received. Live a life worthy of the gospel you have received. It's this reminder, hey, live lives that shine brightly in a dark world. And you have to remember Uh, if you were with us last week, what what Paul's doing here, where we were last week. He says, hey, therefore. What is he doing? He's looking at where we were last week, Philippians chapter two. He just got done saying this beautiful, beautiful hymn, this beautiful, beautiful admiration of who Jesus is. That's where he's going with this. And he's reflecting and he's, he's looking upon the life of Jesus. He's just looking upon the life of Jesus And he's saying, Jesus was so different. The way that he lived his life. He didn't live like other kings lived. Like his his life was different than how you might have expected. As a a king, did he come to be served? No, he came to serve. As as a king, would he come and he kind of go his own way and pave his own path And put his flag in the ground. No, he would be obedient. He would humble himself. He would humble himself so much so that he would be obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the life of Jesus, this is what we're looking at. The life of Jesus, the light of the world. He's gonna be our guiding example He's gonna be our guiding example. He's the one we're gonna to look to time and time again. He's gonna be the one that we look to this morning to figure out, okay, what does it actually look like to shine brightly in a world that seems so dark? He's gonna be the one that gives us insight on how to live this way in a world that so desperately needs it. So Paul, he's gonna give us some instructions. Okay, here's how you live a life that will shine in the darkness, here, here's how you're gonna live in such a way that, that's, that's gonna compel people to wonder who it is that you know and why it is the way that you're living. Because I think more often than not, more often than not, it is, it is not actually what we know, but it is how we live that draws people to the goodness and the love and relationship in Jesus. Now, what you know is important, but I believe how we live is even more important. Now, this is always, I think, a relevant conversation. We could come back to this time and time again. But in all honesty, I've recently just felt the weight and the significance of this conversation. I don't know if you realize this, but we are right now living in the greatest decline of faith ever in the history of our country. Now, I I don't say this to scare you. I don't say this to frighten you. In all honesty, I just say this to just kind of wake us up. We are living in the moment of greatest decline of faith in our country's history. Now, I don't say this to just be like shock factor. This is a wake-up call to say, hey, I actually think there is an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus, for us as the church, to actually be the light that we are called and commissioned to be. I believe that we will see one of the greatest moves of God if we will do this and live into this. I was reading a study this week that highlighted the decline of faith based upon generations. And I came across this figure that I think highlights the moment that we find ourselves in. You can put it up behind me. So you see, this is actually a few years old. I couldn't find one that was more recent, but you see starting with the silent generation all the way down to millennials, those who self-identify themselves as Christian. And as you look at this, 84, 76, 67, 49, Gen Z wasn't on there, but most people estimate it somewhere in the 30, 30%. And if this kind of thing doesn't wake us up, Hudson, you could probably tell me the exact percentage that Gen Z would say of self-identifying as Christian, but we're not headed in the right direction. One of the questions that I've been asking myself, and I think we as the church need to ask, okay, why is this? Why this falling away? Like, why this decline? Now, the point today is not to just get into a deep dive discussion here. We're not gonna be able to cover it all. But one of the things that research groups like BARNA have discovered is that there are certain factors, there are certain factors that are causing people to doubt the Christian faith faith more than others. Now, based upon a recent study done at the end of last year, this is an updated study, can you guess the number one reason that non-Christians identified they have doubts about the Christian faith? The number one reason that non-Christians say, hey, this is the reason I doubt the Christian faith. It's not unanswered questions, although they did say that. It's not unanswered prayer. It's not difficulty interpreting the Bible. The number one reason non-Christians gave for doubting the Christian faith was the hypocrisy of religious people. The number one reason, the hypocrisy of religious people. Pretty eye-opening, right? Now, don't hear me saying something I'm not. There are, there are so many factors Like the the reason for the decline is, is really, really complex. But the reason I wanted to point this out today is I wanna highlight the very thing that Paul is reminding the church of. Reminding the church he's writing to, reminding the church today, the way that you live, the way that you live and the way that you conduct yourself is of the utmost importance. And as followers of Jesus, the way that we live should not be something that propels people away from the church, it should be some way of living that draws people near and close. I was listening to to John Tyson this week and he asked the question, do you know the goal of secularism? Do you know the goal of secularism? The goal of secularism is, is not to have you lose your faith. The world honestly could care less about what you believe as long as you keep it to yourself. Like as long as you keep it to yourself, the world doesn't care. The goal of secularism is the privatization of your faith. And I'm asking myself the question, will we let the slow pull of the world towards them win? Or will we live life in a way that draws people to him? Now, I wanna wanna get to Philippians 2. I wanna dig in. There's kind of three things I wanna highlight. Paul says, hey, here here are some ways that you can live as light in a dark world. Here are some ways that you can shine brightly because Paul, he says, then, right? He says, then you will shine brightly. What are the things that he highlights? What are the things that he brings to the surface? Verse 12, first, first thing he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. It's important to understand what Paul's referencing here. I said it earlier, therefore, he's saying, hey, therefore, in light of what I just said, in light of what we looked at last week, he he said, hey, remember, have the same mindset, have the same outlook on life as Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What? He humbled himself. He became a servant. He looked to others before he looked to himself. He was obedient to the Father. I love the way it says it, obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see this just ordinary obedience of Jesus. He was never looking to go his own way. He was always looking to go the way Of the Father and and Paul he says hey you're going to shine brightly in a dark world how follow Jesus follow his lead on living an obedient life follow Jesus by living an obedient life doing the will of the Father so I'm going to name this one number one everyday obedience if you're taking note first way of living to shine as stars in the night sky every day obedience to Jesus. And Paul, he's not, he's not just like making this stuff up. This is, this is what Jesus actually says, hey, if you're my followers, in John chapter 14, he says, he says this. He says, hey, if you love me, what will you do? You'll obey my commands. If, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, me and Lucas were talking this week, and I think for a long time, we kind of misunderstood the, the tone of Jesus' command in John chapter four, and it's not, John chapter 14, it's not, if you love me, you're gonna obey my commands. It's no, if you love me. Jesus is saying, if you, if you love me, like if you genuinely love me, you're gonna obey my commands. Now, What's the first step of obedience? I wish my kids were here this morning. They could could answer this question. The first step of obedience is listening. The first step of obedience is listening. Are your ears open to the voice of God? Like, are your ears open to the voice of Jesus? Do you know his voice? Do you yearn for his voice? Do you long for his voice? Is your heart soft to the will of God? Like, is your, is your heart longing to know his will for your life? Do you know what Jesus actually commands? Like, do you know Jesus's way of living? That's a really good place to start if you don't. Now, Jesus's obedience, Jesus's obedience led to eternal life for anyone who would step into life with him. Anyone who would say, Jesus, your Lord, Jesus, your Savior, I'm giving my life to you. Eternal life to the full was on the table. Now, our lives, what are our lives? They're just simply a reflection of this reality. Obedience to the one who gives full, abundant, eternal life. How might God use your everyday obedience to be light in a dark world? I can answer that question for you, but I can give you a couple examples. I think about just... One of Jesus's commands, like if we just spent the rest of our lives living out this command, we we could do it for a really long time. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Like what would it look like to be obedient to that command this week? Hey, I want you to live a life of generosity, okay? What does it look like to be just obedient to that command this week? Hey, I actually don't want you to just love your neighbor. I want you to love your enemies and pray for the people who persecute you. Okay, what does it look like to begin to do that? And I believe if we do, we are gonna shine and draw people to him in a really significant way. Now, it doesn't have to be big things. I actually believe following Jesus is really small daily acts of obedience. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his book on discipleship. The title of the book is Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and I love that title. Eugene, he says this, there, there is a great market for religious experience in the world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Holiness. It's not flashy, long, steady obedience in the same direction. I promise you, this is gonna stand out in a world that is moving quickly in a hundred different directions. If you are steady, if you are faithful, if you are daily just being obedient to the ways of Jesus, you're non-anxious peaceful presence will do far more in the lives of the people around you than you will ever fathom or imagine. Is there something, is there some way God is inviting you to be obedient? Is, is, there, is there that place in your life that he's been inviting you to repent of? Is there that thing that you know, oh, I, I've, God, you've been inviting me into this and I've yet to say yes and I know I need to say it. For some of you, you're here this morning and we've been talking about baptism for three weeks now. And every time there's been a part of you, it's like, I think God's calling me to be obedient, to give my life to him in in baptism, To, to go down in the waters and fully identify yourself with Jesus. Some of you know, you're like, I need to come tonight and I need to be baptized. Whatever it might be, I wanna invite us as a church to live into the life of long, steady, obedience to him. Sometimes I think we see the fruit. Sometimes we don't. But Paul reminds us, hey, your obedience to Jesus, it shines like like a star in the night sky. So that's number one. Let's go on. Verses 12 and 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, Unfortunately, I think this is a passage that has been misused and misunderstood far too often. Paul's not saying, and hear me say this, Paul's not saying, hey, continue to work towards your salvation so that you can gain your salvation with this fear, this unknowing whether whether or not you're saved. That's not at all what he's saying. Paul is speaking to a group of believers. Paul's speaking to a group of Christians who have given their life to Jesus a group of Christians who have been saved by his grace. The saving work of Jesus, salvation, has taken place in their lives and their hearts. Now he's saying, hey, I want you to live out of that reality. I want you to live out of that reality with this awe and this reverence of who God is. He's inviting them into life of awe and reverence and beholding Jesus. Remember what he just got done doing from last week. He was just beholding Jesus. He was was singing this hymn. It's a hymn, he says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, being found as a Appearance of a man, he, he humbled himself, and then it goes on. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He, he is living out his salvation with this awe and this reverence for who Jesus really is and what Jesus has really done. He's inviting us to do the same. Knowing Jesus, it's not this one-time interaction. Like the saving work of Jesus is, is this ongoing relationship with him, this continual pursuit of, of getting to know him more and more. Paul prays this prayer to, to the church in Ephesus. I pray that you would know him more and more and more. That we would know the depths of who God is. My, my friend David, as we were talking about this passage this week, said this, and it's just been resonating in me over and over and over. He said, the more we get to truly know God, the more we fear and tremble like when you when you when you get a picture of god you cannot help but respond with awe and reverence i think i think a part of the reason our light as the big church has dimmed is that we've lost our awe and our reverence and our fear of the lord And this is not a fear that pushes you away. This is not not a fear that leaves you scared, but this is that fear that just puts you in awe of God. And this is what I'll name the second thing that Paul points out, living a life with an awe of God. I love how one commentator puts it. He says, in order to develop the fear and the awe of the Lord, we must recognize God for who he is. We must, listen to this, we must glimpse with our spirits the power, the might, the beauty, and the brilliance of our Lord Almighty. Those who fear and are in awe of the Lord have a continual awareness of him, a deep reverence for him, and a sincere commitment to obey him. I think Paul knew the first and the second were connected. How often do our spirits glimpse the power and the might and the beauty and the brilliance of God? Like how often do you have those moments when you're just like, whoa, like Jesus really is the son of God. God really is alive. How often do we just stand in awe, like beholding Jesus? Jesus. Looking at him, knowing him, meditating on him and trembling. Like, is this the mark of believers in this age? I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says this, therefore, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, don't you love that? An unshakable kingdom. Let us be filled with gratitude. We're gonna get there in a second. And so worship God acceptably, this is acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. I think the world is sometimes confused by our apathy. It's like, okay, you you claim to follow a god who who spoke this world into existence you you claim to follow a god who who left heaven came to earth died rose from the grave you're telling me in anybody who gives their life to him is going to live eternally with him forever in glory and it's like but but you just, you just attend on Sundays. You maybe open up your Bibles a few times and pray a little bit. And the rest of your life, in all honesty, it kind of looks like the rest of the world. I'm guilty of that. Want to shine like stars in the dark world? Live with a genuine awe and reverence of God. When you fear God, when you fear God, you no longer fear man. I think sometimes the reason we're so afraid of what others will think is that we don't actually fear God, we fear man. And I've just been asking myself this week, okay God, for me, like where where is my awe of you? Yahweh God, creator God, the one who dwells in me, the one who lives in me. I've been asking myself, Am I hungry? Like, do I actually desire the manifest presence of God to enter into my life? Like, am I expectant when I show up on a Sunday morning for the manifest presence of God to make himself known? Like, am am I longing for something more than just the normal? Do I want it? It's like sometimes... I'll, I'll, like, examine my, my walk, and I'm like, I can come in here, and I can be like, Will's leading, it's like, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, and it's like, where do you want to go for lunch? All right, let's go. And the thing that's just been stirring my heart for for us this morning, like, God, will you wake us up? Will you wake us up to your goodness, to your glory, to your presence? May we come with this expectation. May we come with this awe, with this reverence that not only do we get to know you, we get to be known by you. And I wanna tell you this, like, I can remember inviting a cousin of mine to church. He's an atheist and really nervous about it. And this comment that he made stuck out to me. This was probably 10 years ago and it still has, has resonated with me. The thing that stood out to him was not like the unpacking of scripture and all that. He says, people really believe what they say they believe. Like there's this, there's this passion, there's this awe, there's this reverence for God. Passion and awe and reverence and fear of God is not going to propel non-believers away from you. In fact, I think it may be the very thing that, that draws them in and draws them close. So number one, obedience. Number two, awe. Let's look at the third way of living that Paul highlights as a way for us to shine brightly in a dark world. Verse 14, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Yep. You wanna know one of the best and worst things about preaching and teaching? It's because every week when I'm at my best, it's this self-examination. It's like, okay, I'm gonna be, be preaching on this. Like, am I living it out? And so I decided to do this, uh, I called it a grumble audit. It was like a grumble audit through, throughout the week. And let me just tell you what, like, I don't stand up here as someone who has it all figured out. Like I was, I was humbled. It was eye-opening. It was sanctifying. I love how simple Paul makes it. He's like, hey, do everything with, without grumbling or arguing. You want to live as lights? Don't grumble. Like you, you are going to stand out from the rest of the world. There was a part of me who was like, okay, Paul, everything. What what do you mean by everything? I'm like, I'm like looking to the Greek, I'm like, grumbling, (laughs) complaining, everything. Okay. Another translation for, for everything is all things. And I'm like, okay. All things. Like I said, I was I was doing a grumble audit this week and I let my kids in on that. I said, hey kiddos, I'm doing a grumble audit. If you catch me grumbling or complaining, you have the permission to call me out on it. Mistake, by the way. Um, So there was one night, Keela was gone, and I had our three kids for dinner and bath and bedtime. And let me just tell you, that in and of itself is a daily sanctifying process. And this was spaghetti night, praise the Lord. And (laughs) We get to the moment uh, where it's like, okay, dinner's winding down and I'm going to have to kind of clean up the mess. And let me tell you, if you've never cleaned up spaghetti off of the floor, it's, it's, it's not easy. Um, there's no like swipe with the paper towel. Um, there's no like broom and dustpan. like your only option with spaghetti on the floor is like one noodle at a time. And I'm like sitting there underneath the table like... Stupid spaghetti, I don't know why we'd have spaghetti. And Ike was just like, dad, are you grumbling? I was like, no, shut up, eat your dinner. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's kind of funny, but like it was, it was a moment where the Holy Spirit was like, see, now what, what, what could I do? And it, right, right at the end of the moment, like the Holy Spirit was like, just be grateful. Just be grateful. Instead of grumbling, be grateful. So I was like, you know what, Like you're right. I was grumbling. And you know what I'm gonna do instead? I'm gonna choose to be grateful in this moment. So I said, right now, I'm just, I'm just gonna pray. I'm gonna be grateful. God, thank you for this food. It's like, thank you for the food that we got to eat tonight that I get to clean up off the floor. I was like, thank you that I got dinner with my kids tonight, that I got to sit at a table with them. Thank you that we got to eat on this table that a friend helped me build that's new. And like, thank you, God. Let me just tell you, that moment completely changed the trajectory of our evening. It changed the trajectory. And something I realized this week, the best antidote for grumbling is not not grumbling, it's gratitude. Number three intentional gratitude. Instead of grumbling, live a life of intentional gratitude. If you do this, I promise it will not take long to just stand out in the world. Like if every time you're, you're wanting to grumble, you're wanting to complain, you just begin to say, okay, how can I be grateful in this moment? How can I be grateful for what I have both right now in this moment and in Jesus? You will shine like a star in the night sky. If you wanna be countercultural in Nashville, Tennessee, you wanna live for Jesus, don't grumble about the traffic. Just don't do it. Every time you wanna grumble about the traffic, here's my challenge this week, be grateful. Like, may that be your key. Okay, traffic, all right, great, grateful. I'm gonna be grateful. God, thank you for this car. It's not hard. God, thank you for this car that I get to drive. Thank you for this job that, that I'm driving to right now. Thank you for the house church that I'm getting to go to be a part of. It's all the way in Mount Juliet, even though I live in South Nashville. <laughs> like, thank you for this house church. Thank you for these people. If you wanna be countercultural in the workplace, don't grumble, don't complain, don't argue every time the higher-ups make a decision that you don't necessarily agree with. Don't join the grumbling chorus with the rest of your coworkers when y'all are talking about that employee that just is not doing their job great. I could go on and on with examples, but it will not take you very long this week to figure out where you grumble, I promise. Let's be a people marked by gratitude, not grumbling. As I said earlier, we are living in a moment of great decline. Greatest decline of faith in the history of our country. You know what happens when things get darker? Like, you know what happens when things get darker? The light actually shines brighter. Like like this tiny flashlight in a dark cave. Our lives are made to and they will shine as beacons of hope in a dark world. Now, I want to be really clear. Like today, this is not like a, hey, go do more sermon. This is an invitation into a way of living that will give life to the full. This is an invitation that will give you life and life to the full, not only to you, but to the people around you. If you, number one, if you just step into every day ordinary obedience to Jesus, I promise your life will be blessed. He loves you. He's not gonna invite you into anything that won't bless your heart. Number two, living, living a life with awe and reverence of God. Living a life with awe and reverence And living with this intentional gratitude, you will be blessed, I promise. Do this this week, you will be blessed and you are gonna bless the people around you. Because I love what Paul says back in verse 13. I don't know if you caught this. For it is God who works in you. He's not saying, hey, just go do this. This is is God, the spirit of God in you that does this. It is a God who does this, not ourselves, And so the question I'm asking as we kind of close out our time. Like, are we posturing ourselves? Are we putting ourselves in in a place to allow God to do this work in us? As we head to the table this morning, here's here's what I want us to do. I wanna invite you just with the people you're taking communion with to just say, what is God stirring in you? Where, where do you feel invited to take a step? Is, is it just everyday ordinary obedience? Hey, I've, I've been going my own way. I need to get back to the ways of God. Hey, God's been inviting me into this. I, ha- I haven't said yes, I need to say yes. Is it living with more awe and wonder of God? Like sometimes I, I think we feel like, oh, I've got to come to worship And I can only worship with awe and reverence if I feel awe and reverence. Sometimes it's, it's just the physical act of worship. It's the physical act of hitting our knees that will actually do the thing in you that you're not feeling in that moment. So for some of you, you need to choose. We're getting ready to sing a song, Look to the Lamb. Like it's been the song that's been stirring in my heart all week. And we're gonna sing this song and you just need to with a heart posture, like look to Jesus with awe. Like, as you take communion, you just need Jesus, wow. God, you're real. You're alive. You love me. Like, you need, you need to use this second half of worship to just stand in awe and reverence of God. For some of you, you just, that, that grumbling thing just hit a chord. You're like, wow, I've been grumbling about so much. And you just need to practice intentional gratitude this week. You need the discipline of gratitude to give you a heart and a life that shines brightly in a dark world. So let's pray, and we'll head to the table together this morning. Yeah, Father. It is you who works in us. It is you who works in us. You you will and you act in accordance with with your good pleasure for our lives, your good purpose for our lives. And God, I, I just right now want to admit all the all the places and ways that that I don't I don't I don't trust that, that you're wanting and you're willing to do that. Father, I ask that you would really meet us right now in this moment. That you would, you would work in us the thing that, that, that we're longing for. For those that are hungry and thirsty, they, they want to be in awe of you, God. But they, they're, they're just having trouble. Faith feels cold. Life feels hard. And, and, and being in awe and reverence of you feels like a million miles away. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you wake us up to your goodness? Will you wake us up to your love? Will you wake us up to your realness? May we be a, a church, a people that is marked by awe and reverence of you. God, will you help us take every day, one day at a time, giving it to you, saying, Jesus, how can I be obedient to you today? Help us to be okay with the the slow, steady, continual process of becoming more like you. Jesus, I I wanna reach the finish line but so often you're just inviting me to take the next step, to run the next mile. God, will you help us to be a church that does that? In the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, come, meet us. Together as a whole church, we say, amen.